0: Welcome to Israel from the inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to DanielGordis.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. Some of you may have heard not long ago that a very, very significant American philanthropist suddenly pulled his support out of the Cohelet Forum, which was the intellectual think tank that has kind of spurred what some people call the judicial reform, other people call the judicial re- revolution or uh, whatever, overturning, whatever you want to call it. And uh, a group that was commonly spoken about in the press, which I had actually never heard about, is called Unacceptable, very cleverly spelled, U-N, then with a big X, acceptable, and um, looked into it, asked some friends about it. And it turns out it's a group of Israelis in the United States who are living there, working there, raising their children there, many of them, who have gotten... Ex- very, very, very involved politically all of a sudden in trying to prevent what they see as potentially permanent damage to the Jewish state. And uh, one of the people leading this uh, really exceptional enterprise and fascinating enterprise is Ophir Uh He is a member of the Israeli-American community in the San Francisco Bay Area and a serial entrepreneur. In 2020, he helped launch Unacceptable in support of a democratic Israel, which means that it was long before this, so we'll find out about that. Uh, He holds a BA in Business and Entrepreneurship from Reichman University in Herzliya. He was born and raised in Israel in Kiryat Motskin, and he has resided with his wife and two children, two sons, in Palo Alto since 2014. Uh, So first of all, Lofir, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today and tell us a little bit about Unacceptable so we can understand its work and then understand really the impact of this whole... uh, revolution in israeli life on israelis who happen to be living across the ocean it's complicated but it's also very powerful so tell us a little bit about yourself to get started thank you
1: daniel for having me it's uh, really exciting to be here um so as you said i'm uh, israeli american i was raised and born in israel uh, i was uh having a startup in israel called pig and when we sold it in 2011 we moved to manhattan with my with my wife and my two young kids um and over time uh we started a new one uh called the Keep called Keepy, and with that startup we moved to Palo Alto in twenty fourteen. Um I was uh uh most of the time and still an uh, entrepreneur, high tech, um in the high tech business. And in general, I mean like I was very uninvolved in political action or even activism uh until until recently. Um, and this is a, a change. I was, not also, I was also not involved uh, much with the Jewish community. So that's a change too. Um, and overall, um, we have been uh, active very much in the Jewish community, Israeli community in Palo Alto, uh, what we call the Oshman uh, Family JCC and the ICC here. Um, and through that activity, I got to learn more about the Jewish community here. Um, and, or learned about how you actually actively need to create your community. It's not coming by definition like when you live in Israel. So that's, uh, what brought me, uh, here. Um, and we can talk more about that.
0: Yeah. Well, you're obviously very fortunate to be in a community that has such an amazing JCC. Zach Bodner, who runs that JCC is a long, long, long time friend of mine. And, uh, he, he's really an extraordinarily talented guy. So, and he has been very, very committed to projects like Zionism 3.0 and others to really make Zionism a very live issue in the community. And he's done, I think, a great job. Um, you found it unacceptable, though, in 2020 which was long before any of our listeners had ever heard of, uh, you know, Levin or Rotman, probably even Ben Gvir or smartrich although they were already around. Um, what got you to start this in 2020? What was the impetus then?
1: So back in 2020, uh, maybe some of us uh, remember, uh, this was during the time, I mean, it actually started during uh, COVID. And if you all remember, during COVID, uh, there was, uh, we, we basically uh, got to the point where, uh, Netanyahu and, uh, uh, Gantz, uh, was actually forming a coalition and we were have basically having a prime, an indicted prime minister first for the first time. Um, may, for some of you, it might, might, sound familiar from the situation now in the USA. Right. Um, and, uh, at this point of time, um, uh, there were a lot of, there were a big protest that we call the Balfour protest in Israel. Uh, Balfour standing for the name of the street where the White House or the Prime Minister House in Jerusalem. And uh, at some point, those protests were, were were tried to be blocked because of uh, 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 social distancing and others. And they were asked to go and uh, protest near, like uh, only a hundred meters from the house or one kilometer from the house. And people started to protest around um around uh, the bridges in Israel. And uh, together with a couple of friends, we kind of like looked into what's happening in Israel. We basically said like, we need to stand in solidarity with what's happening in Israel. And the risk, I mean, even back then, the risk was that an indicted prime minister could influence the court system and risk the democracy, right? So that's why it's uh, from, from that time, we called it unacceptable saving Israeli democracy title. So we went, a couple of us, uh, to the Golden Gate Bridge because we figured out there is another bridge that is nearby. Um, and, uh, it kind of like created a, a movement because others saw us, uh, giving, a stand with solidarity and us and reached out after we were interviewed in Winet or something like that, asked us, how can we do it too? And that's basically how it's all started, uh, really about, uh, standing in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Israel. Uh, we never thought it would get to this point uh, of time, uh, four years, almost four years later, and uh, with with a big break in between because we were not really active uh, after the the Bennett Lapid government was formed, and we reinitiated this process with with some understanding of how to reach out to the Jewish community that was not involved back then.
0: Yeah, just to give our ba- our listeners some background, those those protests in twenty twenty three were obviously much smaller, much 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 smaller than we're seeing now. Twenty twenty, hun- yeah, yeah twenty twenty. Thank you. Uh, they were you know a few hundred people, maybe a few thousand people at some of the big ones, and there was a big debate here as to whether or not the restrictions that were put on the protests because of COVID supposedly were genuinely COVID motivated or whether COVID was kind of a cover for the government then trying to subdue the protests, and that became a whole issue. It seems quaint. Now, back uh, to look at what we were talking about back then, even back then, people were very worked up about it uh, relative to what we're experiencing now. It seems quaint. So you guys have a re-energized unacceptable um, since the November election, the formation of the government and what I'm sure you would call the judicial overthrow or whatever you're, you're calling it in English.
1: A judicial overhaul is the term that people are using. Um, again, we would, if, I mean, if we want to really go for judicial coup,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. far. Um, yeah. Okay, but it, it may or may not be wrong. We'll see with time. But um, so, tell us a little bit about how the group is organized. Is it all Palo Alto based? It's obviously um, had some impact in Philadelphia because that's where this philanthropist uh, lives. So, where you have you have chapters all over the country? Is it run out of Palo so, Alto? How does it work?
1: So, Unacceptable is a grassroots movement uh, that basically, uh, uh, again, started here in Palo Alto in the San Francisco Bay Area. But very quickly uh, spread out in uh, into North America, Australia, uh, Japan, and uh, there are also pro- there are also protests in in uh, Europe that is actually run by a, uh, another organization called Defending Israeli Democracy. Uh, but the, it's a grassroots movement because the the organizers are locally; uh, they're starting their own chapters, and then they reach out to kind of like be part of a network. Um, Unacceptable is not a registered organization even yet um and uh we are re- really run by volunteers and uh without any uh financial support other than our GoFundMe. um and the the way we are working is we have our i mean we have our own website called unacceptable.org that people can join you can find the chapters you can join on the whatsapp groups which is kind of like a, uh uh we, we started to see more and more uh, loc- even local people joining the the whatsapp group which is not that popular for for jewish americans and and we also have our mailing list. Uh, but the most important thing is that we are really trying, we're really energized by the network because when one thing is, when one chapter is initiating an, an activity, we kind of like see this activity uh, spread out to other cities. And in, in one city, uh, a conservative rabbi is speaking. Now you can actually take it to other communities. And so, in reality, what we have done is we have built a, a very uh, a strong uh, Jewish-Israeli-American uh, liberal communities that were not connected to each other in the past. Um, and they are both now fighting for the identity of the state of Israel.
0: So ironically, what this crisis in Israel has done is it has actually created a network of Israeli-Americans, American Israelis, call them what you will, and... Um, who were previously living their lives and maybe you know spoke similar languages and had similar backgrounds, but were not terribly linked together. And this has actually created a, a kind of a network, a spider web, so to speak, of, of networks across the country.
1: It it did. I mean, it, and, and by the way, they were connected. They were connected around uh, again uh, moving uh, uh, furniture when you move right. out, or speaking and, and or speaking about uh, things that are not driven by politics. I mean, a lot of Facebook group for each community. But but again, but similar to I would say to Jewish Americans, I mean, like speaking against the policies of Israel or speaking about something that doesn't feel in Israel good, it was always in, in feels felt like it's not our space, it's not our place. So what this network created is a group of people who feels who felt that, that way, but never had a place to interact around that.
0: So this is actually obviously one of those moments where Israel's being talked about among American Jews much, much more than it has been in a very, very long time. And in this particular space, Israeli Americans are actually the leaders of this newfound community. So in a way, there's been a switch here, right? In other words, if you came to Palo Alto in 2014 or whenever, um, it was an American Jewish community and it was very welcoming to Israelis who either chose to join or not to join, to choice intensively or to join a little bit less intensively. But it was a community of mostly run, run mostly by young, middle-aged and older American Jews and Israelis were invited in. Now there's been a kind of a reversal, right? In other words, in this particular moment, the action and the direction and the energy are coming from Israeli Americans, and they are the ones who are inviting Native Americans, the ones who have been living in America their whole lives, to join them. There's sort of been a switch in the direction of leadership here. Is that a fair assessment?
1: It's a fair assessment uh, th- that was actually it's actually what's happening. I mean, like we are, we build a platform that gives legitimacy in a way to uh, Jewish Americans and other p- lover of Israel that were kind of like always in a situation where you always have to stand by Israel no matter what. I mean, when they see Israeli Americans who served in the army, who did, who has family there, who has a business relationship there, and they actually standing up with Israeli flags. Uh, uh, and with Israeli signs that would in any other time look like a pro-Israel rally, right? But they are now seeing that those symbols similar to Israel are being re-engaged under a different message, a message of uh, democracy, a message of equality, a message of freedom, a message of like being free people in your own country. Those are messages that you cannot avoid. And if you love Israel, you join. So the leadership here is something that, uh, again, we never really meant to become uh, 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 an organization. It is leading, leading the Jewish community, but I think that we are finally found our, our place in the community and either asked to join us or happy to join the Jewish community. Um, and we do see uh, different communities already started. I mean, especially after the reasonable, reasonableness doctrine has passed in the 64 and kind of like the disappointment from the from the uh, discussion at the at the president's house, like Herzog House uh, table. I mean, people are saying like, okay, something is happening. We have to join, and we cannot sit on the fence anymore. And they are reaching out to us, and we are coming to synagogues. We are coming to other places to speak and to get. I mean, and in on all the rallies that we have. I mean, again, most of the speakers will be uh, uh, rabbis or Jewish leader uh, communities leaders. On top of, I mean, other than uh, just Israelis who are coming either from Israel or us locally.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see who writes the next history of American Judaism. I mean, the, the 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 main book now is phenomenal, is Jonathan Sarna's called American Judaism. But you know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, or something, somebody is going to write another history of American Judaism. And I think it'll be fascinating to see whether 2023, 2024 gets pointed to as a transition point in which the. How many Israeli Americans are there these days? How many?
1: The, the numbers are saying, I don't know, 800,000? 800,
0: 800,000. Like so, w- yeah, so. W-
1: whatever you define it, it's, it's definitely an untapped resource in the Jewish community. And, uh, right.
0: And that's right. It's been a that long untapped to- resource. And, uh, you know, there's been organizations like the IAC, the the Israeli American Council, which in recent years have gotten much more engaged in trying to bring Israeli Americans and American Jews together. Um, But this, you know, we may look back 20 years from now and say that 2023, 2024 was the moment when some significant portion of these 800,000 Israelis who are living in America, and there's many more, of course, living around the world, uh, chose to get deeply involved in the nature of American Jewish discourse and the nature of American Jewish leadership and the nature, nature of American Jewish education, perhaps even, all all began to to change. Now let's go back to this this incident of the particular philanthropist who according to the press, and you can correct me if the press accounts were wrong, uh, but but Israelis here in Israel, um, I get these WhatsApp literally probably fifty times a day. You know, a minister so and so is leaving their house and they're going to place X and they're gonna be there at 10 30 in the morning. And we need 30 people to show up at a wherever, and hold science or whatever. So if you followed all these WhatsApps, you would actually not be able to do your job. You'd just be running around all day long chasing ministers, uh, <laughs> which I don't do. But um, you, it's fascinating that they have actually gone like it's a full court press. No minister walks around this, con- this country now without being followed by these people or met by these people. Uh, what happened with this particular philanthropist, which I understand involved people protesting outside his house and so on and so forth, um, was a was a kind of a similar tactic was it my, my two questions are number 1 was it um was it the local group that chose to do it or was it a kind of a more national decision to try to take that tactic on secondly um are there other people in the scopes in the sites to uh, that the, the group tr- plans to try to pressure in similar ways because it seems to have worked in that particular instance and well let's start with those two and then we'll we'll come back to some other stuff
1: so first of all i I cannot take any credit on uh, this uh, success. I mean, again, there is a long time the people press and uh, other people that actually researched kohelet and and the relationship to the people who funded them so and and locally, I mean, there were two kind of like main uh, people p- groups, and as I said, it's a grassroots movement, so there is nothing that is happening top down. so right. the local the local team uh, both in New York and in Philadelphia. Uh, Started to kind of like uh, follow uh, and work uh, similar to Achim Laneshek, the Brothers and Sisters in Arms, and others in Israel, and say like, "Hey, we need to stop this funding, funding that is destroying country." And the assumption we we kind of like gave the credit of the doubt, uh, as you said, like the benefit of the doubt, uh, the benefit of the doubt that that that, uh, uh, Mr. Danchik and other supporters of Koelit are not really aware of what their money is doing. Um, and so that's how the, the group of, uh, uh, again, non-activist Israelis in Philadelphia, professors, uh, academics, high-tech people, found themselves uh, basically rallied uh, in front of Danchika, uh House and, and office in Saskana office. Um, and, and because the assumption was that they are not aware, their community is not aware um, that that's what they are part of. Um, And so that was definitely effective. um, And uh, we were very happy to hear, to see that happening. And again, all the credit is going to the people on the ground there that is doing that. Regarding the the effectiveness of this for future people, I mean, we we don't have like a a list of uh, people that we are uh, looking to uh, uh, protest in front of. And we are definitely, and actually just this morning, whenever ministers from Israel are coming or... Anyone from this government or coalition is coming. We are definitely there. Just this morning, we had a, there was a protest in New York City in front of Gallant again. Uh, visit to the UN, um, and the ask was: Remember who kind of like uh, kept your job uh, back at the time where Bibi fired you, and you are the one who can save Israel. So that is the type of the protest that we are doing. Um, so th- no, there is no uh, uh, a new uh, dunchik type of uh, protest planned. And if there will be, it will be done grassroots uh, by decision of people on the ground.
0: Now, you have two kids, you have two sons, they're 14 and 17, right? I mean, so they're definitely old enough to understand what's happening. And um, I assume there's a lot of talk about what's happening in the house, over the dinner table, in the backyard, wherever one has these conversations. How, in your estimation, has what's happened in Israel and their parents, I don't mean just your kids, obviously, but in general, um, their parents' sudden political activism and involvement how is it beginning to affect the identities of these teenagers who are growing up knowing that they had israeli roots and israeli parents and probably israeli grandparents and aunts and uncles and all of that uh, but with parents who are very comfortable in america and now all of a sudden have taken on this this challenge this this energy how do you see it affecting that younger generation
1: so i i can tell you that one of the reasons for me to uh uh uh, go and uh, do something is actually the when when, when I was exposed to how uh, young Jewish Americans are being related to Israel uh, I was kind of like say like well I I can see why they are disconnected more and more from Israel maybe because of values because of other things that happening in Israel maybe because they never saw an existential crisis in their own lifetime and that there was never a reason for them to interact with Israel uh, and, and when that's, that's I mean, th- this January started and I was like looking into uh, into the crisis of identity that my kids might expo- be exposed to. And it's like, well, I'm raising them as one type of Israeli. Maybe Israel is going to be different. What type of Israelis are they going to be? And by the way, I mean, I'm not expecting, I'm not, I'm not doing it because I'm expecting them to go back to Israel or because I expect them to go back to the army. They will do whatever they choose to do. But I mean, the definition of being an Israeli-American and values and around Again, the the basic values we have been raised for under a Jewish democratic states with uh, equality for all. Uh, this is not something that I want to be changed for them, and that's why we're doing it. now. Regarding yes, they're they're taking it. My pers- personally, my kids are taking a big toll. I mean, like seeing their dad doing twenty four seven things around that, um, and they are they're definitely coming and uh, uh, helping with uh, drone photography and. Uh, uh with uh, uh creating signs i mean by the way they are not very i mean they sometimes they let me go to the protest and not joining because suddenly there is a quiet at home and no one is dealing <laughs> with protest uh but the reality is that even though they are young you can see that even my older son i mean like again never been involved in jewish life again we're not going to synagogue we're not going to other. but now he is part of uh a, a jewish club in his in his uh high school and now he's. Uh, He's, uh starting it with another friend, uh, an organization called Youth American for Israeli Democracy, um, and and so they are getting more involved. If if in the past I thought that their involvement will come from going to a Jewish summer camp, now I can actually see how their involvement is being done around democracy and Jewish values, but from the other way around.
0: So you should actually write a thank you note to the government for helping them get your uh, kids inspired and involved, right? Um, so uh, that's actually we, fascinating.
1: We can. We can, we can Thank to the government for many things that out of this crisis <laughs> will be born. Yes.
0: By the way, I think that's actually true because whatever, wherever, wherever one is on this, and some of our listeners are left, and some of them are middle, and some of them are right, and it's all good. And we actually, of course, interview people from left, middle, and right. Um, whatever comes out of this, I think that there has been born a new kind of civil discourse in Israel where people are taking issues of democracy very much more seriously. They're thinking much more about what their own voting patterns mean. Um, Speaking of voting, by the way, Israel does not allow uh, absentee balloting. In other words, if you're not in Israel, unless you're working for the embassies, but unless you're working for the embassies uh, and, um, I think, if you're a military assignment or something like that. But basically, unless you're working for the government, if you're outside of Israel on the day of an election, you can't vote. Uh, There's been some discussion of that over the years, perhaps changing. Some people objected to changing it because they felt a lot of Americans of one type or another might declare citizenship. And then without living in Israel, start voting, which could change the voting patterns. Is there a sense among American Israelis um, or Israeli Americans that They hope this rule might change because the polling is now going to, going to the polls is going to become almost sacred. I mean, if you look at the diaries of people who went to vote in 1949, they really wrote about it in almost religious terms. They got dressed up. They they felt that they were doing something that was unbelievably powerful, voting in a Jewish state for the first time. Uh, And I think people took it for granted. I would imagine that in the next elections, the percentage of voters is going to be very, very high from all different sides. Is there interest among Israeli Americans to uh, have the government rethink the policy, or is the expectation that if they want to vote, they should get on a plane, come back for a few days, visit family, and then go home?
1: Again, I, I, I cannot speak on on behalf of Israeli Americans, but I mean, like what what I can tell you is that there is definitely uh, activities. I was personally activated in back in twenty nineteen to try and get uh, people on the on the plane. We thought that back in nineteen, this would be like the most existential election we ever had. Uh, <laughs> And who, know, who who thought that we will be here these days? Um, but but I, I, again, I, I think there is there is a discussion around that, and it's not clear if you need to give everyone who has because again, potentially. By the way, one of the reasons why Jewish Americans are joining those rallies is because of the risk of the law of return, right? And the definition right. of who is Jewish and who is getting uh, the even ability to get citizenship. So we are even at that stage. I mean, like regarding who can vote. Uh, there is another question, but I mean, the reality is that many of us Israelis that are coming here are not coming for the long term. They're coming for the short term. They're coming to do postdocs, they're coming to do a relocation, they're coming, I mean, this was at least what happened recently, until until the, the current status of the government. But the reality is that, I mean, there, are, there could be a differentiation between those who are coming for the short term, the long term, uh-huh. uh, those who were born here. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of abilities, but I mean, obviously, again, when you think about the amount of Jewish people uh, uh, here and the amount of Jewish people in Israel, I mean, Israelis, uh, and who can vote and who cannot vote, I mean, there is definitely, it's not a simple solution. Um, So I, I, again, personally, I think that those who, I mean, every one of us should have the ability to, and I think that uh, the professor, uh, sorry, the the Rabbi Hartman said it, like, Israel should not be only left for Israelis. Israel should not only love for Israelis. I mean, it's important that we can influence. I mean, but we can influence in many ways, uh, like we are doing today. Uh, voting is just one one way. And I, I don't I don't know what the right solution for that.
0: Okay. I want to ask you one last question. Um, I'm getting some very interesting comments from people who live in America. Friends of mine, obviously I'm American. I lived in America for 40 years. Uh, tons of American friends who write me and say, Our experience here should be of comfort to you because in the last eight years, we've been through periods when we were certain the United States was coming apart at the seams. Uh, We watched television on January 6th. And it really looked like a European capital being attacked by a mob and the government overturned. Uh, There was a point at which it wasn't 100% clear that what we thought was the right, the correct, fair outcome of the election would actually be certified as the ultimate result of the election. And then they say... It actually worked out. America is obviously still in a very complicated situation. Uh, when you have articles in the newspaper talking about whether a candidate could be president from a jail cell, you know that you're in a new world, they say. But fundamentally, the judicial system in America held tight. Prosecutions were made. Indictments were made. The country has held together. Uh, and you Israelis ought to take some comfort uh, from what we've been through in America. It can look bad. It can be very upsetting. It, you can feel distraught. But there's a long game here, and in the long game, you should have confidence in the systems of government. You've lived in America during that period, but you've also lived in Israel for de- for decades, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Does your experience of how things have played out in America give you confidence that Israel is going to emerge from this the way that you want it to emerge? It's
1: so, a great question. I mean, like I, I, I saw what happened. In 2016, after the election of uh, of Trump, and how people walk up to the point where they had to take action. They need to be active. They didn't think it would solve itself by itself. Right. So they were organized here as a group of Tech for Campaigns. They were organized uh, as uh, technology people and created like Swing Left, and they. So people were not. It didn't just solve. It didn't. It wasn't just solved by itself. So that's one. People were mobilized, activized, uh, and, and the blue wave happened in 2018. Uh so that's one. So I think that what we are seeing now in Israel is again is what is the same effect. However, differently from the US, where you have federal, state, uh two houses, uh constitution, uh there is so many uh checks and balances that actually have stopped January 6th from happening. I mean, and we see now the indictments that uh, 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 Trump is being facing now. These are the things that in Israel, the, 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 the constitutional crisis is coming in a second because again the reality is that we don't have two houses. We only have the, the Knesset and the government which are basically one branch or right. one branch. and, and you have the, the only checks and balances you have is the independent judiciary. And therefore, I mean, we have to make sure that we are coming out of this crisis, not just returning to the point where we were, right? We need to come to the point where we are strengthening our democratic institution and not anyone can create a basic law. And the basic law is not just a vote of like one week and we are done. Um, and and therefore, I am, I mean, and and we see that, that, the, that, the, that the changes that the government is making, they are following... A, a mechanism that is called autocratic legalism. So it's, we, it was not invented in Israel. It was invented in Venezuela, Russia, Hungary, Poland, etc., Turkey. Um, so we should stop that. I mean, there is a very—it's a very fragile democracy. It's not as strong as America. It will not solve. It will not be solved by itself. Uh, I think we even we even heard uh, Moshe Kopel saying like. They, we should give up on this anyway. The demography, the demographic, will happen, and, and we will actually be able to do it again a couple of years. So we should not assume that even if we succeed to stop, and we succeed so far to stop the the the, the bleats of laws, but we have seen one law, and there is another 225 laws that are on the table. Uh, it's it's not an easy. It's not it's not going to solve itself by itself like it did in America, and even America is is fighting for its for institution now as we speak.
0: Okay so the countries certain similarities but some basic fundamental differences and therefore we should not take too much comfort from the fact that America got through this and assume that Israel will because there are so many differences. Look I think this is this is to me is just a fascinating conversation because all eyes are on Israel you know all eyes are on the Knesset all eyes are on President Herzog's house all eyes are are pointed towards Jerusalem. Uh, And far away, whether it's Palo Alto or Manhattan or perhaps other parts of the world in Europe and Japan and Australia and so forth, also something very dramatic has happened, that Israelis around the world are becoming activated as Israelis, but in your particular case, in the case of your community, Israelis and Israeli-Americans, that there's a a new role for Israelis in their communities. There is a new identity for Israeli teenage kids who may have been brought up with Hebrew and have Israeli grandparents, but they're now involved in a way that they weren't there's been a kind of an awakening, uh, which is uh, one of the silver linings that may come out of this dark period, that there's a a kind of a resurgence of identity and a resurgence of thinking and a resurgence of belonging. Uh, And we may come through this at the other side of the tunnel, however long the tunnel is, seeing American-born American Jews uh, and Israeli-born American Jews, uh, feeling a sense of partnership and cooperation and collegiality that has been elusive really for a very, very long time. So it's possible that something very powerful is developing on the other side of the ocean too. Uh, And you're the first person that we've been able to talk to really who's actually living through that and helping to shape that. Um, So grateful to you for what you're doing on the ground and grateful to you for taking the time to talk to us uh, and wish you and your family all the very best.
1: And if I could add one more thing, I mean, I you think that we are, we, are, we, are, we are seeing not just Israeli-born Jews and Israeli Ameri- or Jewish Americans coming together, but I think that we are finally seeing a whole new camp in Israel of Israeli liberals, right? That, that can be connected to a much lo- bigger group of Jewish in the diaspora, right? That, again, was, there was a big disconnect until now. So this uh new watershed that is being built right now between again and you, you mentioned that you are interviewing people from left, right, centre, and we kind of like saying it's not about right or left, it's about right or wrong. <laughs> um and and uh it, it's it's I mean what we are seeing is that this liberal camp that is being built in Israel, if we're a democratic camp, uh uh that is not connected to if you are secular or religious or right or left. Uh, is now having the potential to build a bigger coalition also with the jury of the, wa- the war jury uh, coming up together. So that's, that's a, 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 even a bigger uh, picture uh, of potential to, from this crisis.
0: So we have a potential bridge between Israeli Jews and diaspora Jews. We have a potential bridge inside America between Israeli-born American Jews and American-born American Jews. All kinds of uh, alliances and bridges coming out here that uh, might not have happened before, and we certainly wouldn't have had our eye on them. Uh, It's a fascinating and really important side dimension to the judicial part, but it's a very important part of the history of the Jewish people. And um, so for helping us understand it better and shining a light on it, my thanks and uh, wishes to you and your family for Shana Tova.
1: Shana Tova. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to Israel from the inside. Go to DanielGordis.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.